Welcome back to Inside Motorsport. I'm here with Kevin Bartlett, who's working diligently at the Phillip Island Festival of Motorsport, which he's been at for many years in his role as DSA and DSO. Um, and of course, what I'm wanting to talk to him about is one of the long-time champions of Formula 5000 in his era, was a champion of Gold Star, and both uh, nationally and internationally. And Kevin, just wanted to hear your comments on this new S5000, Supercar 5000s. Well, uh, the, the S5000 concept, albeit restricted to, uh, a, let's say, a basic layer car that can't be played with, it rankles a few people who are used to the old Ford Chevrolet thing, but that doesn't count in this case. It, this, what this does, in my humble opinion, is it brings it back to be, let's say, a super Formula 3. Yep. A super Formula 3. And, and the, new, the newer uh, 2.4, 2.5-litre uh, um, Formula, Formula 3 cars are quite a, quite a weapon. Yep. But we can't afford here to keep running that sort of engine, like the mega chrome engines and, and, and that you have in Formula 3000. So using a modular engine that's, that's got long life, it's restricted in RPM, uh, the gearboxes are bulletproof, all of the gear on the car is bulletproof. It allows people to get into a category that's not going to change under their feet. It's going to stay. I mean, there may be modifications in the future to various things, but that'll have to be clinically analysed, uh, i.e. tyre compound, uh, a type of brake, or, or, or some expansion somewhere along the line. That may happen, but let's, let's get it off the ground. Let's do it first, and then, and then sort it out as we go but not change it as we go. Sort it out, get it in mind, and then after a period of time, review what we've got. And then if modifications are agreed upon by everybody, okay, go ahead and do those modifications. But until that point in time, I, I hear a lot of the people that drive and say, oh, hasn't got enough downforce. Hey, live with it. As far as I'm concerned, if you can't drive it without downforce, you shouldn't be out there. One of the things I found so encouraging was Timmy Macro, and I'm sure you know him and have spoken to him um, from your days involved in Formula 3, for instance, with Michael Caruso, I remember that well. Yeah. Um, one of the things Timmy said almost when he got out of the car for the first time at Sandown race was, these cars aren't easy to drive, and I thought, fantastic, because the last thing we need yeah. is an easy-driven car, some of the, the, the older blokes um, could buy and, and afford to buy, and go race because we don't want them in there. We want the younger blokes in there. Yeah, and uh, there's nothing like an ill handling. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, what they call just one second. That we need to put the young blokes in. It, it, it's a certainly a more uh, economic package to put them in a car here, such as this, than to experiment, take them out of say, a Formula Ford or a go-kart and send them to England to run in the hurly-burly of Formula Renault or Formula 3. Horrendous sign-on fees, etc., etc. The cost is terrible. Uh, and, and throw them into the mix over there. It's better, in my opinion, that 
for a modest amount of money, a modest in comparison yep. amount of money, uh, that they find some grounding here. Find some grounding here. And if they stand out here, then is the point in time Push where they up. should yep. investigate whether they're good enough in their own right to go and, and, and run in Europe and, and, and to try and get into Formula One or the ones that don't can quite easily go to the American scene and run in the American scene because the cars are comparable. Yeah. Uh, they're more comparable than running than running out of a Formula Ford into a into an Indy car, for instance. They're more comparable than running out of a go-kart and going into the current European Formula Three. Yes. It's a very competitive series. They're, the cars are very powerful. They're, they're excellent motor cars. Let alone, you could never expect any of those people to progress straight into GP2. Yeah. That's an impossibility cost-wise, uh, let alone talent-wise. They've got to come up as far as the talent's concerned. And we know quite well there are some very talented youngsters here. Uh, for instance, down here at the present time, we've got a young chap that's driving an 8-litre McLaren here for the first time, Harrison Jones. Yep. Absolutely spot on line everywhere, using his brain, and and he's a likely candidate for this sort of thing, in my honest opinion. Yep. He's also as good as two or three others that, that are established. So, yes, we, we have the talent here, but we've got to lead him in the right path. Harrison running historics here uh, in, in a genuine Can-Am car, his talent is lost. Yes. People don't see his talent. Yeah, yeah. And they're he has the talent. They're looking at the car, not, not what he's doing in it, yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't know that they want to go S5000, but he, to me, would be a typically example of somebody that should be invested with to go into S5000. That type of driver. Uh, and I can give you around here the young. I watch the youngsters too. Don't you worry. I, I I administer the old people, but I watch the youngsters as well. And uh, I couldn't give you exact numbers, but you would say more than a handful of young people here are very very good steerers. It's really encouraging to me, having been just done the uh, five rounds of the TRS, to see. For instance, four, there are four kids out of that series that are in F3 testing in Europe of the 30 cars, four of them there. And uh, for the first time ever, I can never remember, there are actually four Australian kids yep. in the uh, F3 field this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, but they can get swallowed up because once the money goes, they get swallowed up. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm on about. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Those kids, the, talented as they are, have got to have... The feeder, the money. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what's got to happen. And, it, and when that runs out, where does it leave them? Yeah. It doesn't leave them in a position where many, many years ago you could, you could run, say, a Formula Ford or whatever. I mean, Mark Webber and people like that uh, made their way in those sorts of cars and they were able to sustain it. Uh, they had to work another job, but it was sustainable. Yeah. Now it's mega dollars. Yes, yeah. mega dollars because that's what that's what the Europeans look at. They look at the mega dollars, and everybody's got talent. Yeah, and they they're going to go for the mega dollars and talent rather than the talent, no mega dollars. 
is um, is it likely you'll go to, to Albert Park to see the five thousand there? No, no, okay, no, I won't. Uh, uh, we, us older drivers, don't even get an invite to go to Albert Park when it's, you know, warm, warm. Uh, well, you, you might actually find when maybe it's closer to home, your name gets onto a trophy. I wouldn't be surprised at uh, some stage well, in the 5,000 category. Well, they, they, they're talking about a trophy, but we'll see how, how that yeah. goes. But yeah. um, uh, be that as it may, you know, I, I'd certainly want to, want yeah. to be part of that if it, if it happens. But um, look, uh, no, I don't need to go there and poke my nose in and all that. Let them get on with what they're doing, and I'm sure that with the leadership they've got and the, and the, and the uh, sustainability of the people behind it, that it's going to work. Yeah. We all know who's behind a lot of this stuff and, you know, they're doing a good, doing a good job. Yeah, look, it's, it's wonderful to see actually that, you know, there are two, not Grand Prix drivers, but Grand Prix winners in Fisichello and Barrichello going to be there in the field. Yes. Uh, because they're a benchmark for people. Well, they're sort of a benchmark. Yeah. They're sort of a benchmark. But uh, just to have them there, knowing that they have been there and done that and they are talented, yeah. gives you some sort of comparison. I mean, once you retire from your, your, your Formula One experience, yes. how motivated are you to put your neck on the line, yeah. let's say? Let's say, um, not not that they're dangerous. The cars yes, not so, dangerous, but yeah. uh, to to stick your neck out and, and risk damage on the car, they won't do that. Yes. They, they, they'll sort of back off in those situations, and, that, and that's that's a sensible way to look at it. Uh, there there are at least two young blokes I know that won't back off. Yeah. You know they will go for it, yes. and and there is there's hidden talent there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite impressed with. A couple of them. They're just very talented young fellows. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to see them lost in touring cars. Yes. I, At I the agree. end of the day, yeah. my 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 feeling is I don't want them lost in in the touring car or supercar scene. And the fascinating thing is the man who is probably um, for making these cars is Gary Rogers. You know, he, he owns uh, a large number of the chassis, and that uh, he was never an open wheel driver. He made his name in touring cars and, uh, and you know, has done some fantastic things. Identified a lot of very, very good young drivers, the Bat Tanners and Barguanas and Stevie Richards, you know, just there's an enormous list. And my young bloke Caruso. Don't yes, forget him. Michael. No, no, not at all. Never forget Michael. Um, but uh, to, to have Gary there to have championed the cause is fantastic. Yes. Uh, I think Gary was, uh, Gary was really... Not the linchpin of it, but he was the anchor. Yes. And and, and without his help and his uh, endurance, uh, we wouldn't be where we are with the S5000. Yes. It needed somebody of Gary's experience and and general knowledge of, of where the business angle of it is uh, to be in there. Yeah. It was tremendously encouraging to me, and not that I ever wanted to see... A crash, but when Matty Brabham and Alex Davidson came together, um, that uh, the car was very strong. Yes, oh, well, that's a given. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the selection of the chassis uh, was was really down to what the FIA say about chassis strength. Yes. And it was a tested chassis, 
in as much as crash barrier testing, etc., etc. But the design was a known design on safety factors, and yep. that, to me, is a is, is a huge, huge plus in comparison to the original F. 5,000. Yes. Which really, the only crash barrier test they did had an actual driver inside, (laughs) and I happened to be one of those (laughs) test drivers. I always found it quite amazing that the man who was a mentor to you in Frank Gardner, you know I've been researching for 10 years of my life, that Frank had this saying, he didn't want to be the fastest racing driver, just the oldest, and yet he was the man that introduced the T300. That's right. Uh, yes, exactly right. A Formula Two car that shouldn't have been any, <laughs> any more than a one point five. Yes, it, uh, it it's ironic, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, poor old Frankie, not with us any longer. But uh, but, but he, he he suffered a couple of injuries yeah. in those cars in testing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, the difference is amazing between the safety aspects of it now and the uh, there are a lot of people that scoffing a little bit oh that's a cookie cutter situation it, it's not it's it's a cost effective situation yes yeah. in my honest opinion I think that uh, trying to make make changes to make it look like the old F5000 are incorrect shouldn't do that Just yeah. make it stand alone because it can stand alone yeah, look, I, I must say that uh, I think the, the cars, well, I, I love the era when you drove, um, in the, you know, the, the everyone had different chassis, not everyone, but, you know, a vast array of different chassis and different ways of cutting their metal. Um, the, this is obviously control chassis, control engines, gearbox, all this is obviously the way it's cost effective, as you say. Um, I might actually ask you an out of left field sort of question, which has a made me curious for many years there was a particular car that Alec Mildred asked Frank to build after the yellow submarine had great success and it had started out as an alpha engine car and then became a waggot and then then Dave Moore made it into a <laughs> Formula 2 car um, I uh, there was a 5000 that was built yes at Alan Mann's workshop Yes. And it had the name of Franklin, which was Frank Gardner and Len Bailey. It was also known as a Mildred 5000. It's now owned, and you know the guy in Canberra who's who done a magnificent job in rebuilding it. But I have to have a record somewhere in my mind that you and Frank had talked about that car, and you weren't both very complimentary of its handling. No, it never really got development, but a lot of the bits and pieces on it, you see, were left over from the old earlier Lola T190 uh-huh. and uh, in some areas but in other areas there's a bit left over from the uh, Lola Coupe and a bit here and a bit there <laughs> it was an absolute bit so. <laughs> uh, I think the tub was quite strong enough yep. I planted it off the road at surface one day and I, I, I come out of it quite easily but although it wasn't a crash it was just a, an off uh, into into one of the ditches, but and the car survived easily, uh, and I raced it two or three times, but uh, I stepped out of that back into uh, in, into the yellow sub, and it was like Christmas time to me. And then of course, when I did get my own Formula Five Thousand, my, my first Five Thousand was a McLaren, 
chalk and cheese. Yes. It, it, there was no comparison. The, the, the M10B was a way superior car to the, the Rolls Royce. Yeah. But in saying that, that car could have been made into a better car with a little bit more development thought. Yeah. Uh, various things. It was on carburetors. It had flat spots. It was. It had a truck gearbox in it. Well, it felt like a truck gearbox. Yeah. But it was. Uh, it had an LG 600 oh, in it. Oh, right. Yeah. It was Makes just eight litre. Very oh. agricultural uh, setup. Um, albeit that uh, later with the later cars, they had the T300, uh, the T. Uh, Three three twos. Uh, the, yeah, the 330s and the 332s, uh, we had a DG300 box in that, which was very marginal. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was chalk and cheese there. Yeah. Uh, and they required a lot of maintenance. And, and, and comparing that to the S5000, the Hollinger 6-speed, you won't even have to change ratios because virtually the ratios will suit every track in the country. Yeah. With a six-speed, you, you, there will be tracks you only use three gears or four gears. Witten, for instance, you wouldn't be using six gear. Yes. Because you're not going that fast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Kevin, it's wonderful talking to you again. Um, I'd like to uh, try and book a time sometime later this year after we've had three or four rounds, just to have a uh, your impressions of how it's been developing. So if we can, you know, do that later on, I'd be delighted. Yep. Very good. Wonderful. Thank you to Kevin Bartlett joining us on Inside Motorsport. I'm here with John Bauer. Moments after he's got out of a BT23, a very special car. BT31, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's BT23-ish in looks anyway. It is, yes. Yeah. yes uh, and it was a 31 because Jack had it specially built for? The Tasman Series, 1969. It's owned by Peter Strauss of Melbourne, who's got a, several other Brabham's. He's a Brabham aficionado. And... It was put on a ship to come out here uh, rather than air freighted and it got stuck on the docks because the waterside wharfy people were having a strike. So it missed most of the series. But it, Jack did uh, the Bathurst 100 mile race in 69. He did the Sandown uh, Tasman race in 69, which was won by Jochen Rint, I think. Jack came third. In a, 30, in a 49. In a Lotus 49 of the Cosworth yeah. in it, yeah. So it's a very... And that was a shakedown run, wasn't it, yes. really, for the car? Yeah, it was a special, a very special car. But then Jack uh, Jack's relationship with Repco, it didn't sour, but it changed because by that time the Cosworth engine was the engine to have. So he, I've read a lot about this car. That's how I know it. Um, he went to... Uh, Cosworth and did a deal for engines and consequently Repco basically pulled out of motorsport other than a parts provider for the people that had their engines so it laid around at, at Repco headquarters for years and years and years before someone discovered it in a historic sense and now because historic racing is, is part of our makeup, you know now it's a very valuable car but um, it's a great, great story I think and a great car to drive? Uh, it's it's quite difficult to drive, I've got to say, around this track anyway. Uh, I drove it at Sandown two years ago. So, and, of course, this is a pre-aero era. Yeah, no aero, no wings, no, no, no but nice mechanical yep. grip tyres and things. But what makes it tricky, the engine is tricky to drive. It's, uh, it's quite strong on power when you've got full throttle, but it's 
progression from light throttle to full throttle is, is untidy and it's long before electronics. Yep. So it's something to do with airflow and camshafts and things like that, which, which are all part of the period. I mean, you, I'm sure now, though, you could make it more drivable because it's quite tricky to drive. Yeah, and of course it was a one-off car. Mm. Uh, it was never replicated, mm. and uh, by the time that you know it was already been, you know, Jack was onto the next thing. Yes, he was. And of yeah. course, um, BT thirty sixes and thirties uh, were both very successful cars. Well, they were. This is uh, like a basically the chassis is very similar to a BT thirty F two car. Yep. Uh, with with a Repco engine in the back. And bigger tanks, yeah. which they put in for big alley tanks. So it's got not a lot of room in the cockpit. Uh, not that that's a big issue, but uh, more, more, it's more the drivability of the engine. It's quite tricky to drive, and um, the engine is due for a, for a rebuild anyway. So I'm going to talk to Peter Strauss's engine man, see if he can change the way it drives a bit. Having said that, it's still lovely, but yeah. it's you know it's I've driven cars with Cosworth DFVs, I've driven FBCs, I've driven FBAs, yeah. BDAs, and they all are easier to manage on the throttle than this This is. Yeah, okay. Um, and, that's, and partially probably it's because this is just a one-off sort of car. Um, the thing is, John, you made your name, you know, in the first part of your career as an open-wheel driver, driving uh, um, starting sorts. Uh, all sorts, starting yeah. off Formula Vs was your yeah, first yeah. open wheelers. Yeah, right. You didn't go through the go-kart thing much, did you? No, no, not really. You're um, too young for then? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we grew up, I grew up in Tasmania, and Tasmania was, a, you know, wasn't as attached to the rest of Australia as it is now. Yes. Uh, my dad raced in my youth quite a lot, and I think, you know, anything that he had as a family, which was, you know, not that much... Was went into his own racing stuff, so I don't think we even knew about go karting. To be honest, right. so if I had known about go karting, which would have been in its infancy, yeah. I would have badgered them to death. <laughs> so that's probably why they didn't tell me. So I started racing when I was 15 because I think my dad helped me to buy a Formula V, so it'd keep me off the streets, basically. Yes. And, and it sort of did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, throughout your career, and you've raced against some of the greats. Um, in the days of Calder and the yeah. Australian Grand Prix and yep. Licky Lauders, Lane yep. Prosts, yep. Um, that in uh, uh, and, and a variety of racing cars and all the way through to when you joined Gary Cooper in the 5000s. Mm -hmm. um, and how many years were you in those cars then? Well, I drove... Uh, Gary was sort of my mentor in many ways. I mean, if it hadn't have been for Gary, I would have never raced outside Tasmania because we as a family didn't have the wherewithal, didn't have the funding, so I would have just stayed in Tasmania. But Gary s saw something in me as I, we were very much Elfin-minded yep. and uh, I'd had an Elfin V, an Elfin Formula Ford, an Elfin 623 Formula 3 car and then an Elfin 700 and I went quite well in all of them and I think what really piqued his interest was uh, uh, the Cheetah guys, Brian Sheed, Brian Sampson, Peter Macro, they came down to Baskerville one day, one weekend in, it would have been 77 I think probably and and I was 
considerably faster than them. So in the 700. Yeah, with a Ford engine, which was unfashionable. Yeah, so, yeah, very. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, and Gary really took a shine to me after that, and so he gave me a drive in a 5000 uh, that was owned by Reg Orr. And was the, that a test? Yes, yeah, he gave me a, a test basically. He said to my dad, uh, come over and, you know, I'll give him a drive in the 5000. So off we go. We go over to Adelaide, get in a, you know, stay in a motel, go out to AIR, do some laps. Um, not not like now where you, I just drove the car, you know, and I didn't, wasn't trying to be fast or special or whatever. Anyway, he, um, then he gave me an opportunity to race it in uh, 78 at Oran Park. So Vern Schupin had driven the car for Red Jaw and, you know, it was ANSET Team Elf. And so to us, little people from Tassie, it was a big deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was a big deal, yeah. It was. Really big deal. And um, so I did this race at Oran Park. Um, I qualified fourth. Um, I think I finished fourth. It was a gold star race. Yes. I think... Uh, Graham McRae or John McCormick won it, one of the two. Yep. And then Gary finished just in front of me. So, and then after that, he he sort of gave me an opportunity to race to do the Gold Star. So, I did the Gold Star in '79 and '80 with, with Ansett Team Elfin. Yep. And uh, and in the meantime, I'd um, paid for a Formula Two chassis and Gary ran it out of the factory and provided the engine for it. So it was a sort of a works car. Yep. So really he helped me immensely, immensely. It's, it's hard to explain it because that was before social media, before, yes. you know, the only thing we had was auto action. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I've always been very grateful for that. And in the latest Elfin book, you know, I think I've probably told that tale many times, but... Yeah, so without that, um, but, you know, later on, Formula Atlantic started in Australia and we ended up with a Rolt yep. because everybody had one and they were easy to come by and they were good cars. So. And you had Lucky Nuts. Yeah, and I had uh, a sponsor that was called Lucky Nuts, who, who the guy's name was Chris Leach. He was an enthusiast, essentially, yep. yeah, and, uh, you know, he helped me for a few years. So, you know, any unless you got family money, this is stating the obvious, yes, yeah. but unless you got family money... You're better off not to worry about a racing career because you, you know you're not going to have one <laughs> unless right, you got well, family money, which we didn't have. So I'm, I'll be forever grateful for those people. Right, but the, the wonderful thing is that you not only have had a great career, but you've still got a career and you yes. still race cars. Yes, and you do it very well. You've won numerous championships. You're in fact, the only man who's won championships with roofs, without roofs, and without mudguards and all those sorts of things. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, the the thing that I think I have, where others may ha- not, is that I I absolutely love it. So I grew up with it as a child, but, yeah, but and it, I love it. It's, but it's more than adaptability. I mean, it, it's also obviously a skill level you have for the job. Well, you I know. suppose I do, but I don't ever think about that. No, but okay. I mean, well, you as you get older, you know, I mean, I gave up supercar racing, which I was, you know, part of for quite a long time, um, because I was, you know, unsure whether I was losing the, my skill level or whatever, but you end up, at that sort of level, it's like Formula One, you end up, if you end up with the wrong team, with the wrong stuff, wrong equipment, even though it's not that far away, you end up being classed as 
you know, over the hill or whatever. So I gave... It's when self-doubt starts creeping yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. So, But luckily I've had people help me continue to race and I continue to race in a few different categories as I am here at Phillip Island where I race, I'm racing two very diverse cars um, that uh, their owners, you know, let me drive them. So it's terrific. All right. Well, one of the things that happens next weekend mm-hmm. is that we have formally now running out for the first time in a full series is S5000. Yes. And a number of your friends and backers in Brian Boyd and John McMillan yes. are heavily involved and have been. And I'd just like to, you to tell us what not so much about the mechanicals of the car, but about what you think this will do for Australian racing. Well, I... Th- you know, I think it's way overdue, and the two people you mentioned, there's been other people behind the scenes, of course, driving the process. It's been a long process because the car, you know, the chassis started off as one thing and it didn't meet homologation standards with the FIA, and it's just been long and long-winded as, as these things can be. But it's, it's so overdue for Australia because... You know, as you, you were around in the, the glory days of Formula 5000, it's a fantastic category. They're big, powerful, noisy, difficult-to-drive cars, and that's what we've needed. I think they've got aerodynamic performance, but it's not uh, silly performance, yes. as in the you know the world sports cars or Formula 1 is, where the, the, the aero performance is so high that... that the average person, even the educated person, couldn't imagine it. These cars have got aero performance, possibly of a of a GT car, GT3 yeah. cars that race in Australia, and they've got better power to weight ratio, and they've got quite tough tyres. So yeah. they're all all the ingredients, but they're modern. They they look modern. They are modern. They're modern construction. Beautiful lovely carbon tub, they've got paddle shifts and all that nice stuff on them yes. that, that is modern motor racing because if they didn't have that they might as well be racing in historic races yeah. so it's I mean, got all the ingredients and one of the other things which was actually on demonstration at Sandown unfortunately for Matthew Brabham and Alex Davison was they appear to be very safe oh yes I think you know as, as safe as a racing car can be I yeah. mean they are you know, they are homologated chassis with the FIA, so they're to current safety standards as GP2 is, as all, you know, yes. Formula 1 is, all that sort of stuff. So, so they are very modern cars. But um, they've got a, 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 an engine that's um, a spec engine, but a good engine, sounds good, gives good performance, should do quite a lot of kilometres between, you know, servicing, rebuilds and things. So it's, 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 it's got all the ingredients for us as a country to find our next Formula One driver, yeah. you know, and at the moment we don't look like we're going to have one for a while, yeah. other than Dan Ricciardo. So, and these guys that have put this Australian racing group, that have put all this together, committed a lot of money and a massive amount of effort to make it all work. And it's, I think it's exciting. You know, the cars are exciting. They, it's attracting the right sort of drivers. Um, you know, I, I reckon it's awesome because I remember I drove in the, the later years of Formula 5000. They, uh, they sit, you know, make your hair stand on end on the back of your neck. So these things are like that. You know, 
I was at Sandown, as you were, and you watch the guys. That no one treats them lightly. Yeah. They're not easy. They're not. I, e- and I that's remember, what a race car should be. Yeah, I remember Tim Macro getting out, and the, one of the first things of talking to him about, and him saying was that these are hard to drive. Yes. And and that's exactly what we want. Because what we, we don't want. want a comfortable car. We don't want one that someone anyone can get into. And no, well, like the, the you know the later years of Formula Three here, they were going over Lukey Heights, flat. Yeah. In top gear. I mean, I, I can't imagine that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that I, means it's too easy. I remember uh, Scotty Dixon uh, telling me some years ago that um, in Formula Holdens, and, you know, not enough was made of that car, which, you know, was, of course, late 90s. Mm. Um, and Holden obviously put an enormous amount of money into it um, in building the engines for it. Um, but Scotty Dixon said, if you can drive one of those things fast, you can drive any open wheeler fast, mm. because they were difficult cars. Yes, yes, yeah, that's um, right. So that wasn't... Uh, and uh, Yeah, it, it sort of succeeded for a little while, but it didn't succeed long enough, and I think it was part of that was the, the sound. Yep. You know, they sounded... They were V6 yeah, yeah. and they sounded flat. Yes. Uh, and it just... This S5000, they sound good. They sound like the old 5000s yeah. did, to be honest. So, they, you know, I just think it's got all the right ingredients. And and you've got to give huge credit to Gary Rogers and his son Barry, who, through their Gary Rogers Motorsport operation, have taken on the build and, the, you know, the leasing and, you know, big, big commitment by them, which means I'm sure Gary doesn't really need the headache after a lifetime of motorsport, but but he loves motorsport. He's a, he's a passionate motorsport person, and so they've waded into this whole equation as well. So, and you know, you have to give credit to Cams. I mean, Cams saw it all through. So it's you know, it's actually a genuine world standard category. So I think it's got a brilliant future. But like everything in Australia, I think it's going to slowly, slowly gain momentum. A best case scenario. I mean, at the moment. We can see, we know that there are a couple of ex-Formula 1, not just drivers, but actually winners, Formula mm-hmm. 1 winners in Fisichella and Barrichello. Yep. Um, there are a number of good young drivers like, you know, Thomas Randall and mm-hmm. Tim Macro and those guys who have competed and won in various categories. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet seen the young guys. I mean, we've got four kids this year in Formula 3 in Europe, which has been a long time since that's been, I can't remember. Yep. Um, you know, Alex Peroni, yep. uh, Jack Doohan, um, Oscar Pistari. Um, you know, a lot of really good young young guys there. Mm. Um, th- obviously, they, they're concentrating on their Formula 3 category in Europe. We haven't seen yet the person make a decision to jump from Formula 4 to a 5,000. That's obviously going to be a very big jump. Mm, um, possibly so, yeah. Uh, I think probably if you can... If you're good enough, you can do it. But as as we've seen with other people occasionally, but um, the the problem with overseas is unless you've got millions, yeah. and I mean millions, you really are up against it. As Thomas Randall, Thomas Randall did very well overseas, yes. but you know he had to come back. I mean his family probably, arguably, I don't know their their story, but they probably just got sick of pouring the money into it or couldn't do it anymore. So this, I think, is, is a, a pathway. If somebody, a young guy, gets in these cars and goes well against established, and I call Tim Macro established yep. because he's, you know, Timmy's in his 30s, he's 
always been talented as a driver. He's a much race engineer nowadays as he's driver. He's his driver, but he's a good, very good driver and yep. very. He's a very, you know, you got to young guys have got to be people like Tim Macro, and then they could go overseas and do GP two. They wouldn't need to do, yes. you know, Formula Feeder. three. They wouldn't need to do feeder stuff. They could go start further up the ladder, so they don't have to spend three million doing two years of Formula yes. three. Yeah, and these cars are not expensive you know they are really not expensive now whether they become expensive uh, I don't know I'd love to see as I know you would Chris Lambden would probably lots of people would uh, you know another a Tasman style series for them yeah you know it doesn't have to be in New Zealand New Zealand's got the Toyota series which is very good but they're only little cars yeah. These are big cars. These yeah. are these are men's cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, ideally, in fact, you you have almost someone who's done like a, a, a TRS come over here and then jump into a five thousand. Yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. So you'd run it in through you know probably January or something. And yeah. I just think it's a you know, and, and I'm sure you know the Australian Racing Group don't ask for my advice, but I'm sure they think that way because everything they do is very considered, and everything they've done so far is. It's working, you know, it's working. The TCR touring car thing is working. It may not suit the supercar followers as much because it's not a V8 thing, but you, you, you walk through Melbourne and see what people are driving, yeah. and they're all driving those sort of cars. So I, I, I've got, you know, I know the people well, and I've got a lot of faith in them, to be honest. All right, well, thanks very much, John Bauer. We'll look forward to catching up with you, maybe, you know, after we've seen one or two rounds of the yes, 5,000. Yes, and to see what you've seen as highlights of that. I'll be, uh, I think it's awesome that Barrichello and uh, Fisichella, both good drivers, uh, I mean, Barrichello raced at Sandown, and he did. He was good and strong, as you'd expect him to be, but he, the other guys were competitive with him. Yes. And that's good, but... You know, both those guys are not in Formula One anymore. But you don't. I remember Denny Holm when he stopped racing Formula One. Denny Holm was still a fantastic driver, yeah. as was Jack Brabham. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be 30 years old to be a fantastic driver, or 20 years old. But this is this is the future, I think, in Australia. And thank goodness someone's taken the bull by the horns, as Ross Stone used to say to me. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Well, we look forward to hearing. Uh, your informed considered, comments, considered, considered comments, post couple of events. Post, yes, post the Grand Prix, I'll be there with my, with my ears pin back, as that's what Gary Cooper used to say. <laughs> Thanks, John. I'm going for quotes. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.